ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂ ಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಓಂ ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಟ್ ಅಸ್ ಬೋತ್ ಟೀಚರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಟಾಚ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಗಿವ್ ಅಸ್ ದ ರೆಸಲ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಅವರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿ ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಮೇಕ್ ಅವರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿ ಇಲ್ಯುಮಿನೇಟಿಂಗ್ ಮೇ ವಿ ನಾಟ್ ಕ್ಯಾವೇಲ್ ಅಟ್ ಈಚ್ ಅದರ್ ಓಂ ಪೀಸ್ 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 so we are studying the kathopanishad and we are at an interesting uh, place in the dialogue the dialogue between the little boy nachiketa who is the student and the lord of death yama or yama raja who is the lord of death uh, the god of death and he is the teacher and we remember that he uh, the little boy asked for three boons i mean he was offered three boons and he asked three things one was to take care of his worldly affairs that his father who was mad at him that he shouldn't be angry with me anymore i'll go back home and meet my father everything should be fine in our family and the second boon he asked for was the best possible vedic ritual uh, which will give him the highest heaven possible that's the kind of religion he was familiar with he had seen all his parents and everybody in the community doing those rituals the vedic karmakanda the ritualistic portion of the vedas the best possible karma kanda ritual and yama teaches him that and then finally he asks the question which really sets the ground for the upanishad the upanishad is actually concerned with the third question and the third question was that uh, what happens after death so it's very dramatic there is this little boy who is asking the god of death what happens after death this is a perennial question for all of humanity um this is whether you are philosophical or the most materialistic person whether you are spiritual or not whether you are hindu muslim christian or whatever or an atheist death is one certainty we confront it all the time either in individual you know tragedies in our own families or in um, uh, in a mass tragedy like a, like a pandemic we confront it all the time and so this is the question that this little boy asks uh yama now after that we saw uh, yama tests the student make sure that the student is qualified to be a vedanta student does he have this passion for samsara does he have an intense quest for freedom for knowledge does he have the necessary discipline all of that he tests he tempts and tests until he is satisfied now he is ready to reveal the ultimate secret the uh, secret about brahman about the ultimate reality of the universe and the reality about ourselves and you know advaita vedanta that's the amazing thing about advaita vedanta the reality of the universe and reality of ourselves is one and the same reality so he will talk about vedanta now and he has already said in the mantra number Thirteen, that I consider, O Nashiketa, may there, there be other students like you, and uh, I consider that the house of Brahman is open to you. House of Brahman in the sense of Brahman is open to you. That you enlightenment, 
God realization, uh, moksha, nirvana, whatever you call it, it's open to you. Now, Najiketa, who has been patiently waiting for this time, he restates his question. So the 14th mantra, we're going to do the 14th mantra. We're going to start from there. The 14th mantra is Nachiketa's question. It's not a new question. It sounds like a new question. It is the same old question, but you'll see it's put in an entirely different way. We'll do that first, and then we'll see the speciality of this question. So in the 14th mantra, Nachiketa asks, Anyatra dharmad, anyatra dharmad, anyatra smat krita kritat, anyatra bhutacha bhavyacha, yatat pashyasitadvada. He says, O Lord of Death, since you think that I am fit for this knowledge, now tell me that which I had asked for. What had I asked for? He says, That reality which you know, yat pashyasi, you know it, you see it. We don't see it. You see this reality. What kind of reality is it? Anyatra dharma, anyatra dharma, which is beyond dharma and adharma. Let me give you the translation, then I'll explain it. That reality which you see, which is krita akritat, which is beyond cause and effect. That reality which you see, which is um, other than the past and other than the present, other than the future, the timeless reality which you see. You see it, you know it, you have realized it. Tell me that, speak of it. What does it mean? Notice the question is the same question which has been dramatically restated. What was the original question? That um, what happens after death? My question is about that. Among human beings, among the immortals too, there's this great confusion about what happens after death. Uh, you are the right teacher to tell me about it. Please tell me what happens after death. And here the question is being put in a much more philosophical, much more precise, technically correct way, much more Vedantic way. We'll see what, what it means. But notice the importance of putting it in both these ways. The original way was so dramatic. Here's the little boy who's asking this question, which is common to all humanity at all times in all civilizations. What is death? What happens after death? Everybody, we, we confront it, either theoretically, but ultimately every one of us, we have to face death. We have to see it in the case of those who are close to us and in our own case also. So we have, everybody has this question. Every human being has this question for all times in all civilizations. So Nachiketa is our voice. So it's so dramatic. And it's good that he asked it that way. I doubt whether this question which he's asking now is technically more correct. It's a more Vedantically well-phrased question. But if he had asked this instead of the original question, if he had been, uh, Yama said, ask for the third boon. And if, if Nachiketa at that point had said, well, O Lord of death, tell me that which is beyond dharma and adharma, beyond cause and effect, beyond which is timeless, which you see that you tell me that. That would have sounded so abstract and philosophical. I doubt this story would have been so famous. <laughs> this story is famous because it's put in that dramatic, poetic fashion, which appeals, a question which appeals to everybody. Anybody who has not even come to philosophy, come to spirituality. Even then, the most materialistic person also, it will, the question will appeal to him. But that has been uh, said. Now it, has been it is being stated in a much more technically correct fashion. Why technically correct fashion? Because 
the answer there could have been what happens death well you are a sentient being you believe in heaven you have asked for those vedic rituals which will take you to heaven after death you know what happens after death after death you the sentient being this this physical body will die propelled by your past karma you will go on to another life maybe you will spend some time in heaven go back to another life all because of your past karma and this will go on each life you will earn some karma good and bad and uh, the results of that you will get in future lives and that's it that's what happens after death you know it what are you asking or at least you believe it so this is what people in nachiketa's community at that time the ancient vedic people they believed this that's why they performed all those uh, vedic rituals if they did not believe that we exist after death then what is all this project of going to heaven and perform performing these rituals so that you get enough good karma to go to heaven and get a good birth afterwards that means you know that you survived death so that would have been the answer but no that is not the question it's not a general question of what happens after death it's a much more precise question and that precise question is now being asked um he says anyatra dharmad anyatra dharmad what is that reality which is beyond dharma and adharma what is this dharma and adharma this is the law of karma um, cause and effect we set into motion certain causes and its results are certain effects causes have consequences actions have results so if the actions are moral then the results will be good karma if it is dharma dharmic karma it leads to something called punyam punyam means merit good karma and that punyam is manifested in our life future lives as sukha happiness a more pleasant life things go our way our wishes are fulfilled we have a easier life of it uh, more pleasant and successful life if we have a lot of good karma if the actions are adharma um, you know against morality against ethics uh, sinful deliberately done um, immoral action then the result will be something called papam papam means which uh, sin or demerit the opposite of merit so that and the result of that that is manifested in our future lives as dukkha as dukkha unhappiness so our lives are a bundle of sukha and dukkha pleasure and pain and these are produced by our past um good karma bad karma and it's a general mixed thing for us that's how, that's how we experience life now this is what propels the cycle of life good and bad karma dharma and adharma um but what is natiketa asking is that all that there is cause and effect dharma and adharma uh, but is there something beyond it vedanta says there is something beyond it it's not just you live this life and yes the straight answer to the question is what happens after that you are a sentient being the physical body dies at death and you the sentient being that is consciousness plus the mind you know the the mind intellect memory ego plus the five pranas the five um, powers of senses five powers of the motor organs what is called the sukshma sharira karana sharira sukshma sharira atma plus karana sharira plus sukshma sharira is this sentient being which we are individual being limited small being you will go on you do not die after death this is the belief not only in vedanta in not only in all of hinduism 
but in Buddhism also, in um, um, Jainism also, Sikhism, and in fact, in all the uh, religions, except that in the Abrahamic religions, one does not believe in multiple lives, but one certainly believes in, um, in, uh, the, uh, in good and bad, uh, the moral and the immoral, and the results of good and bad, and that we survive death. You can't have religion where you don't survive death. So there is some kind of post-mortem existence. All of those, uh, the, all that is believed in every religion. But here he's asking, is, it any, is there anything beyond that? Or is it just this endless cycle? Then what is the point of all of, all of spirituality? One should, should just do the good karma recommended in the karma kanda portion of the Vedas. Just be moral, um, plan for a good life, plan for a heavenly life, and then come back and plan for another good life on earth. And that's all that there is. No, Vedanta says this is uh, an appearance. This is not the reality. There is something beyond this. There's a higher reality. There's a deeper reality beyond this. And that has to be realized. And that is the purpose of all of this life, this entire cycle of birth and death. That God realization, enlightenment, uh, moksha, nirvana, whatever you call it. That is called anyatra, other than dharma, other than adharma. Literally, the, almost this language, Swami Vivekananda puts it in English in his poem. Uh, good, good, bad, bad, none escape the law. Whosoever wears a form, wears the chain. But far beyond name and form is Atman ever free. Know thou art that, Sanyasi Bol. Say Om Tat Sat Om. Up to that, wears, whosoever wears a form, wears the chain, that is law of karma. Before that, good, good, bad, bad. That is dharma and adharma. Good, dharma. Then second good, good, good. Two goods are there. First good, dharma. Second good, punyam. The punyam will be produced. And that will lead to sukham. The bad, bad. The first good is, uh, first bad is adharma. The second bad is the papa or the dukkha, which is produced by that. And uh, it would ha wouldn't have been good poetry to say good, 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 bad, bad, bad. <laughs> good and the results are good. Bad and the results are bad. And he says none escape the law. As long as you are in the movie, you're stuck to the script made by the director. As long as you have set forth certain uh, powers, we set into motion these powerful forces of karma. And then we are trapped by them. It's like the silkworm which spins, or, or you, know, the, you know, the butterfly, the caterpillar, which spins the cocoon. And if it can't break free from the cocoon, it's trapped in that. But the goal is to break free from the cocoon and become a butterfly. Similarly, for us is to break free of the cocoon of karma and to realize what we are. So none escape the law, yes. Within the samsara, none can escape. You can't violate this law. But there is something beyond this law. And you can realize that and you can be free of this law. You don't break it, you, you are free of it. So Vivekananda also says, another place, you can't run away from samsara. You learn how to work the machine, it will set you free. You can't run away from the consequences of karma, but you learn how to work the machine. Freedom from bad karma comes through good karma. And freedom from good and bad karma comes through enlightenment, moksha, Vedantic knowledge. So, Anyatra dharmat, anyatra dharmat. First is good, good, bad, bad. That is the law of karma. Then the result of karma is whosoever wears the form, wears the chain to. What is the form? Body. Which body? The one which you have got now, which I have got now. Where did it come from? 
it came from past karma and it is bound by karma it will live only for a certain period of time that which is fueled by the that portion of karma which has been activated called prarabdha karma that is the chain which we are wearing uh, and so our freedom is actually a little limited um, our parents we already decided for us our physical body is already decided for us in fact our lifetime life span is already decided for us and certain major events in the life are already decided for us but of course how we play the game in this uh, limited arena we have some freedom there and we generate new karma depending on how we play the game here so that is the chain which we are wearing now what is vedanta that is what nachiketa is asking anyatra dharmat anyatra dharmat apart from dharma and adharma apart from the law of karma is there is a certain reality and you know it tell me what is it and vivekananda is saying that far beyond name and form is atman ever free know thou art that that's basically the going to be the teaching throughout the kathopanishad yama is going to tell us about the reality which is beyond karma beyond good and bad beyond birth and death free from limitation free from sorrow and how to realize it that that's going to be the theme that's the theme of vedanta anyway another way he puts it more philosophically anyatra smat kritat akritat this reality which is beyond krita krita is the effect and um, akrita is the cause which is beyond cause and effect it's not here no longer law of karma he is talking about the cause of this universe and the effect of this universe in vedantic terms the cause of this universe is saguna brahman and the effect is also what is known as the hiranyagarbha and the virat the, the physical universe and the subtle universe so basically if you remember, that's why you know vedanta sar is very useful all of these are neatly set out there basically what is the framework in order to understand these things the framework is ultimate reality is pure consciousness that is called nirguna brahman now that pure consciousness in association with maya you should if there is only one reality where does maya come from it doesn't come that's the paradox of it it is not a separate reality which has to be accounted for so in a, limited by maya that ultimate reality appears to be does not become appears to be saguna brahman nirguna brahman now appears as saguna brahman what is the relationship between them actually no relationship because it's an appearance nirguna brahman is nothing other and saguna brahman is nothing other than nirguna brahman through the lens of maya through the lens of time space and causation time space and causation um then this this this, this saguna brahman is god is the god of religion another name is ishwara name is bhagavan this is the one which in various ways is understood in hinduism as uh, shiva or maheshwara as vishnu uh, as uh, uh, devi uh, the divine mother durga kali all of them they are not separate realities they are all this saguna brahman you know, pure consciousness plus maya the power of maya now what happens next next from this power of maya a subtle universe is produced and how it's produced i will not go into that all that is uh, vedanta sara details are there you know from which the five elements emerge the subtle elements and from those five subtle elements our 
minds are formed, our pranas are formed and all of this. So this entire subtle cosmos, that same pure consciousness, limited by maya, plus further limited by this subtle cosmos. The subtle cosmos is called the cosmic mind, is now called Hiranyagarbha. From this further comes the physical universe which we see now and our physical bodies. This is called Virat. Same pure consciousness, limited by maya, limited by cosmic mind, now limited by the cosmic body, is called Virat. So this Hiranyagarbha and Virat are called the effect Brahman, Karya Brahman. And Ishwara, Saguna Brahman, is called the, um, the Karana Brahman. What is the cause? The cause is Ishwara. Consciousness plus Maya. What is the effect? The effect is our subtle universe and physical universe, uh, behind which lies Hiranyagarbha and uh, Virat. Remember, when I say subtle universe and uh, physical universe, that's not exactly the same as Hiranyagarbha and Virat because consciousness plus the subtle universe, including the causal universe also, is Hiranyagarbha. Consciousness limited by the causal power of Maya, limited by the subtle universe, limited by the physical universe is Virat. It's like the man in himself uh, is not a police officer. But when he puts on the uniform of the police officer, that man plus his uniform of the police officer now has the powers, the form and the powers and the name of a police officer. That uniform is not a police officer. Similarly, the physical universe is not Virat. The cosmic mind in itself is not Hiranyagarbha. Consciousness plus cosmic mind is Hiranyagarbha. Consciousness plus cosmic mind plus entire physical universe is Virat. Again, all of this sounds very complicated, but we experience it every day. Just look at our own experience. Our own experience in deep sleep is like the causal universe. It's blank. Yet the seed of who we are is there. Because every morning we wake up to the same old life. So we are in the seed form in deep sleep. That's like uh, at an individual level. And the cosmic level it is called uh, Ishwara or Saguna Brahman. When we go into a dream state, we are dreaming, we are there, I, the consciousness, limited sentient being with my mind, am generating dreams. That's the dream state. At the cosmic level, that's the uh, Hiranyagarbha. And then when I wake up, this physical universe, I have a physical body and sense organs to interact with the physical world. This is at the individual level. At the cosmic level, it is called Virat. So it's not difficult to understand what do we mean by causal? By causal, we mean something like what you experience in deep sleep. What do you mean by subtle universe? It's something that you experience in dreams and also now when you think within yourself, that's the subtle universe. You think, you perceive, you feel, um, you desire, you know, understand, remember, all that is a first person experience going on within us, that's the subtle universe. And what is the gross universe? This physical universe, which we, the public universe which we are inhabiting. All right. Why am I saying all this? The causal one is called the cause and the other, the causal Brahman or Karana Brahma and the other two, Hiranyagarbha and Virat are called the uh, effect Brahma or Karya Brahma. All this explanation is just, everything is compressed by Nachiketa into say, saying that I am not interested in this universe. I am not interested in the mind also. 
I am not even interested in that cause of all of this, God. Not even that. What is other than cause and effect? What is other than God and universe? What is other than the creator and the created? You know that. Tell me that. <laughs> it's the most profound of questions. See, where does um, science go up to? The uh, effect universe, Karya Brahma. Where does religion go up to? The cause, uh, causal universe, that is the cause of this universe, God, Karana Brahma. But where does Advaita go up to? Karya Karana Vilakshana Brahma. And the stunning thing about it is that Karya Karana Vilakshana Brahma, that, that Brahman, the ultimate reality beyond cause and effect, is you. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. At the root of the universe, you find yourself, but the self capital S. All of this, he says, beyond the cause and beyond the effect. Uh, that which is timeless, not in the past, not in the present, not in the future, beyond past, present and future, not limited by time. In other words, he is saying not limited by Maya, that which is not limited by space, that which is not limited by um, time, that which is not limited by object. Desha kala vastu paricheda shunyam. Another name for this is infinite. That which is not limited, the infinite, other than the finite, is the infinite. What is the finite? Past, present and future. What is in the past is not in the present. What is in the present will not be in the future. What is in the future is not yet here now. This is limited. Similarly, what is here is not there. That is limitation in space. Limitation in object. What is this thing is not that thing. This person is not that person. This planet is not that planet. All these divisions, these limitations, these little, little fractured universe which we are seeing. Other than this, transcending all of this, what is that unlimited universe or unlimited reality? That you tell me. So this is the same question, what is beyond death, but put in a precise way, put in Vedantic language, put in technically correct philosophical language. This is something that a Vedantic student will appreciate. Um, all right, now we are on subject. This has been stated so well. Good. Now Yama answers his question. It is a feeling, you know, which this, when he says to Yama, what you see it, tell me. You often get that feeling when you're a spiritual seeker and you know that this person knows that which is my, the search which I have in my life. And maybe many lifetimes I've been searching for it. Now I've at last met a person, this guru and this master, who knows your reaction will be, please tell me. Please tell me. Please give it to me. There's a term in Christian theology. It's called holy envy. <laughs> it's envy. but It's a holy envy. I wish I had what you have. I felt it when I saw Swami Bhuteshanandaji once. I was a young brahmachari. Suddenly, what a strange reaction to seeing your own guru. You feel <laughs> jealous, uh, envious. You have something. I can clearly sense it. I'm too young to understand it. I'm... I mean, I was barely reading the Kathopanishad at this time and all of it sounded very high and you know, lofty and technical. But you felt the same thing. 
what you see, please tell me that. Speak of it. Now, Yama gives the answer. To what has been asked, he's giving an answer. Mantra number 15. Sarve Veda Yat Padamamananti Tapangsi Sarvani Chayadvadanti Yadichanto Brahmacharyam Charanti Tate Padam Sangrahena Pravimi Omitiatat Yama says to him, Sarve Veda, what all the Vedas, the, all the, the Vedic sentences, the Vedic texts, what reality they reveal. They all reveal one reality. Tapangsi sarvani chayadvadanti. All the spiritual practices, all spiritual practices, whatever is considered religious, spiritual, what they are all meant for ultimately, what they are all spoken for ultimately. Yadichanto brahmacharyam charanti. For which people in, enter into the brahmacharya state, uh, here it means uh, be, being a spiritual disciple become a spiritual seeker um, or it means the other meaning also is there who do practice sense control celibacy for which purpose you practice this people practice this that reality i'm telling you which reality which you have asked for that reality it is the reality which all the vedas declare it is the reality for which all spiritual practices are meant for it is the reality for which one becomes a disciple Brahmachari, once again. Once again means, I'll explain again when we come to it. Um, one becomes a disciple. That reality, I will tell you, but first I'll tell you, tell it to you in brief. In the briefest possible way. Sangrahena. Compressed. Briefest possible way. It is Om. Om Ityetat. The answer to your question is Om. <laughs> so that's the beauty of uh, Advaita Vedanta. All these texts all these, these arguments and stories and, and whatnot, examples and uh, practices, uh, theories, all of this can be compressed in one sentence. Can you tell me in one sentence? Yes. Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya Jiva Brahmaivanapara. Brahman is the reality, the world is an appearance, and you are none other than Brahman. Still too big. Can you make it smaller? Yes. Tattvamasi, you are that. Can you make it even smaller? Yes. Om. Can you make it even smaller? Yes. Silence. <laughs> so you can't make it any smaller than silence. All right. So it can be compressed, but then it has to be unpacked. What is the meaning of Om? Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. What is the meaning of Aham Brahmasmi? You have to go to the Upanishads to study all that and understand what is Aham Brahmasmi. So, um, that I'm telling you in brief, it is Om. Now, let's quickly go through all this. Um, Sarve Veda Yatpadamamananti. So, all the Vedas, and by which it means all the scriptures, because in Hinduism, all scriptures are based on the Vedas. They, they claim to be an expansion of, explanation of, elaboration of, application of, what is given in the Vedas. Anything that contradicts the Vedas is, is uh, not acceptable. So, when you say all the Vedas speak of it, when the Vedas speak of it, then you mean all the scriptures are speaking about this. 
what they all declare yat padam amananti padam is ultimate reality uh, and the commentator says gamaniyam that means which it can be attained it's not an unattainable thing it is something that is set up for us as vivekananda says very simply in this day and age in our language the goal of human life is god realization to manifest the divinity already present within us that is the goal of human life now here the question may be raised sarve veda all vedas but no you may say that the upanishads speak about brahman atman i am brahman but if you look at the rest of the vedas there are so many things it's it's uh, it's uh, like so messy so many things are there you look at the upanishad itself Look at this Katopanishad itself. It starts with a story, the little the story of the little boy um, Nachiketa and his quarrel with his dad, and the sacrifice and the giving away of the cows, and then the journey to the to the house of death. Then they talk about um, settling his family quarrels, and then about Vedic rituals. Where is Brahman in all of this? Where is Om in all of this? Where is the realization of I am the ultimate reality? It's not there. and if you look at the entire vedic corpus most of the vedic texts except the upanishads most of the vedic texts are concerned with rituals and what are the rituals for yeah, for getting wealth and for defeating your enemies for getting rainfall and a plentiful crop and protecting your cattle getting children um, you know and for uh, rituals for going to heaven after death all sorts of desires worldly and otherworldly otherworldly in the sense heavenly you go to heaven after all but all of it is pretty materialistic let alone realizing i am brahman is not particularly spiritual either so how are you saying all the vedas declare uh, om declare that this ultimate reality brahman our real nature because here is a thing to be known about the vedas and about all religion when the vedas give us various rituals for fulfilling our typical desires I want to be rich i want to be famous i want to be prosperous i want my family to be fine i want to avoid death as long as possible when i can't avoid death i want to go to that nice place uh, and and so on all of this the vedas say yes 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 you can do it and this is the way you do it all of this you can attain but please attain it um, you know through religion through morality through ethics so what the vedas why they are doing this is they are helping us to rise above an instinctive life among an above an animalistic life the characteristic of the vedas is they don't teach us what we already desire it is a rule in purva mimamsaka that which is natural for human beings which need not be taught you don't have to teach people to be greedy and lustful and uh, and uh, angry and um, and scared of each other and no that's natural but what has to be taught is what is good for us but we won't do it otherwise that has to be inculcated yes and the skillful way of doing it is you will attain the goals which you want which you desperately want and why do we want it past lives life after life of conditioning this is a born of our natural ignorance avidya kama karma the ignorance of our real nature leads to desire for fulfillment leads to karma and we are trapped in the law of karma because of that we have so many desires 
the vedas say you can attain those desires please follow these moral religious means to attain your desires not otherwise as one follows these one begins to get, get a certain control over uh, one's uh, life life of material material desire one it helps us to rise above it krishna puts it in a more simple way in the gita that my devotees are of four kinds artha arthati jigyasu gyanicha those who are in trouble they take the help of religion there are no atheists in the foxholes it is a saying you know there are no atheists in hospitals also you know always you will see many places airports hospitals and some, uh, hotels also now you have meditation rooms and prayer rooms mostly empty in hospital rooms generally not empty because you are in in uh, serious trouble and then you grasp at whatever can help so god yes your desires will be fulfilled but hold on to god you rise that way the second kind of devotee is again worldly arthati not in trouble but wants something they are also devotees and the third one is the enquirer the spiritual seeker and the fourth kind of devotee is the enlightened one that enlightened one is still a devotee loves god now what is the meaning of this those who come to god for worldly reasons also either they are in trouble or they want something more and they will also develop in spiritual life they will get a belief in god a faith in god and slowly they will begin to see what they wanted from god it's not worth it um the little things in the world they are all you will get it they are all temporary they leave a bad taste in the mouth and they are gone soon so then you begin to see what is really worthwhile is god for the sake of god not god for the sake of what i what god can give me so then the child wants the mother not the toys not the mother for the toys and not just the toys themselves but now wants to be in the lap of the mother now wants god that is the purpose of all those vedic rituals they guide us towards from karma kanda to gyana kanda um there is this a story about a young monk who was uh, swami madhavananda ji i think asked him long uh, many many decades ago what are you reading he said i'm reading karma yoga of swami vivekananda so after reading that what do you think i think i'm really inspired i have to do a lot of work um, you know for the benefit of humanity and then the swami said well you haven't understood anything if you really understand karma yoga your all your spriha your thirst for action and doing would go away <laughs> that is the ultimate purpose of karma yoga is to take you beyond action through action beyond action through the satisfaction of desires with the help of god within the limits of morality and decency to beyond this hankering for worldly desires that's why all the vedas say that so the vedas are pointing towards the upanishads the gyanakanda which teach you about brahman so even by while they are um, satisfying our worldly and other worldly desires they are pointing us towards that which is beyond desire beyond um, worldly and other worldly desires uh, that is the purpose of the vedas if suppose that is not their why if they directly told us you are brahman give up everything well then we won't give up everything we'll give up the vedas then <laughs> but we won't give up everything we will uh, we need to be skillfully guided uh, into the higher reality uh, otherwise um there is a saying 
गुरुचिम पिवतात देर इज अट्स अ मेडिसिन विच इज कोटेड इन गुड दैट इज शुगर कैंडी और मोलासिस एंड इज गिवेन टू लिटल चाइल्ड हु डजेंट वॉन्ट टू टेक मेडिसिन and the mother gives this this sweet it's nice take it but actually inside it there's a medicine and uh, uh, who gives this example sureshwaracharya in one of his vartikas gives this example what is the what's going on in the vedas it's exactly like that it prom- promises nice things whatever we want but is actually it's a trick it will bring us to vedanta ultimately if it works properly so should we go into the karmakanda not us those who have already come to vedanta never go back to the karmakanda karmakanda is meant for those who are religious but they are primarily still religious for worldly purposes who are they you are surrounded by them you are in a minority there are people you go and sit in a temple people who are sitting all around you i can guarantee 9 out of 10 of them are there are karmakandis who are there are for this purpose and nothing wrong with that but if you have already risen above that you have because you are here you have already risen above that and then don't go back to that even all spiritual practices tapangsi sarvani cha yadvadanti truth satya ahimsa um, non violence brahmacharya sense control uh, aparigraha non acceptance of you know non accumulation of of possessions asteya non stealing so all of these practices the fundamental practices which are necessary for a yogi plus all the other practices you know like uh, somebody is fasting somebody performs long pujas and rituals somebody chants the gita um, so so many kinds of practices that we do and here he is saying yama is saying all practices everything without exception whatever you see in religion all the practices are ultimately meant to bring you to enlightenment so whatever practices people do all over the world in every you know in all vedantic traditions yogic traditions tantric traditions physical practices like rituals um, or um, you know yogic practices or uh, verbal practices like chanting and mantras uh, or mental practices meditation visualization mindfulness what not kundalini yoga everything he says here all of them are finally meant to bring you to this teaching i'm going to give you now yadichanto brahmacharyam charanti brahmacharyam is what the commentator says gurukula vasa lakshana anyadva or just the sense control celibacy sense control that brahmacharya or going to a guru and staying with a guru notice there is a certain point to be made here uh, it, you know when you talk to somebody who has the traditional structure of life uh, in mind you have studentship which is called brahmacharya then you have a householder life uh, which is grihastha then you retire step back from the householder life to con- spend time in Uh, spirituality that is uh, vanaprastha literally going to the forest and finally sanyasa com- life completely dedicated to uh, enlightenment uh, god realization now to such a person when you say brahmacharyam charanti so you say, does that mean i have to go back to school or college again that's the thing in the mind brahmacharya is the, is the first stage of life 
No, here Brahmacharya means becoming a student of a Vedanta teacher. So going to a guru and learning Vedanta, for which purpose people become a disciple. In a more general sense, you say, when you are a spiritual seeker, you seek out a spiritual teacher and you start following a spiritual teacher. It could be any tradition. You could be a devotee, you could be a tantric, you could be a meditator, you could be Buddhist, Jain, whatever. You follow a spiritual tradition and you'll have a spiritual teacher. And you become a, basically a seeker, a disciple once again. Disciple is important, that idea. A seeker also is, is a very vague thing. Disciple is most fixed. That you follow the disciplines of being a disciple and you are committing to a particular way of life and a particular tradition. You're following it up. Otherwise, seeker also is, uh, you know, in today's day and age, I'm a YouTube seeker. Nothing wrong with YouTube. But then there are so many things there. Supermarket of religion and spirituality. One must commit and follow. One, when one commits and follows a particular tradition, then you are a seeker, that you, you are a disciple. Before that, not a disciple. So for which purpose people become disciples, become spiritual seekers and disciples? All of that I'm going to tell you in brief. It is called Om. It's very well selected. Because the most important mantra in all of Hinduism, in all of Vedanta, is Om. In all of Hinduism, is Om. All mantras, you start with Om. All rituals and pujas, uh, you have to use Om. Uh, you find that in the religious iconography in all Hindu temples. Whatever the tradition, it doesn't have to be Vedanta. It, it could be any kind of tradition, any part of India, any kind of Hindu um, you know, tradition has Om. And that's most important. All the texts of various traditions have Om. Not just Hinduism. All the religious traditions which have come out of India. So most ancient religious traditions like in Buddhism, one of the central mantras is Om. In Jainism, one of the central mantras is Om. If you look it up, you'll see. Jainism, they have different connotations, different interpretations. So Om. In Sikhism, the highest reality is called Om, Ik Omkar. One Om is the highest ultimate reality. So Om is central to the entire spirituality of India since the most ancient times. That's why it's very well chosen by Yama. He says it is Om. Now, um, I will explain a little which needs to be known before we go into the rest of it. Um, Shankaracharya here in his com commentary, he says, what you wanted to know, it has been said to you. See, all that you asked, what happens after death? Tell me that reality which is apart from dharma and adharma, which that means which is not subject to the birth and death cycle, which is not even God, not even this universe, apart from the creator and the created, apart from cause and effect, which is timeless, which is beyond, not limited by time, space, object, which is the infinite. That reality, tell me, I'm telling you, it is Om. All right. Now, two things are meant here. So it's so compressed, little explanation is necessary. Shankaracharya just uses one word, one long Sanskrit word. He says, Om, uh, Om Shabda Vatyam, Om Shabda Pratikamcha. Okay. The meaning of Om and the symbol that is Om. So, what is this meaning of Om and the symbol that is Om? Now, 
one must realize that in Vedanta, the core is, of course, that ultimately there is one non-dual reality, existence, consciousness, bliss, and you are that. Somehow you don't know it, we don't know it, and we have to realize it, and Vedanta will show us how to realize it. So that's the core of, um, of Vedanta. And OM stands for that. Where do you find it? Mandukya Upanishad. The classic place is Mandukya Upanishad. There you remember, OM is used, but how is OM used? It is used for Vedantic inquiry. In the Mandukya Upanishad, primarily, all these words are being used very carefully, because primarily in one sense, they're secondarily in another sense. Primarily in the Mandukya Upanishad, OM is used for Vedantic inquiry. How? If you remember, um, OM, the word can be decomposed into three sounds. A, U, Ma. In Sanskrit grammar, if you join A and U, by the rules of grammar, it becomes O. And you have the Ma at the end. Then you put O and Ma together, you get OM. So that's how OM comes. But actually, it is three sounds. A, U, Ma. And by the way, don't ever chant it as Aum. That's wrong. Just, just for <laughs> silly. Uh, om is the correct chanting, but it consists of a uma. Now, so what? The way it has been used in the Mandukya is this. You remember our waking experiences, I, the waker, and my waking world, uh, denoted by a. When I fall asleep, I, the dreamer, and my dream world, denoted by u. Denoted means call it, call it u. And the deep sleep blankness. Call it ma. So the three sounds of om, a, u, ma, are now the names or the, they mean waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Waker, dreamer, deep sleeper. And the silence beyond om, when you say om, the silence beyond om, just after you finish chanting om, that silence denotes the, the consciousness in itself, which is Neither waker, nor dreamer, nor deep sleeper, but the waker, dreamer, and deep sleeper are not apart from it. Remember the gold and ornaments example. The necklace and the bracelet and the ring and gold itself. So gold itself is not a necklace, not a bracelet, not a ring. But necklace, bracelet, ring, if they're golden ornaments, they cannot be apart from the gold. Similarly, waker, dreamer, deep sleeper cannot be apart from consciousness. But in itself, consciousness is not a waker or a dreamer or a deep sleeper. It is ever shining. Now that consciousness in itself is the fourth. The first one is waker, second one is dreamer, third one is deep sleeper, fourth is the consciousness. But that fourth is not a separate fourth. Just as gold is not a fourth ornament. Gold is the reality of three ornaments. Underlying the three, in and through those three, is the reality called gold. Underlying waking, dreaming, and deep sleep, in and through this waking, dreaming, and deep sleep, is just consciousness itself. That is the Turiya or the fourth. And this fourth Turiya is, um, is indicated by the silence after Om. So this is how Om was used in the Mandukya Upanishad. The meaning of Om is Turiya. And if you break it up further, it means waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Uh, physical, subtle, causal. Uh, physical is Virat, um, Hiranyagarbha is the subtle and causal is Ishwara at the cosmic level. 
at the i'm just summarizing all of uh, mandukya i'm just rushing through it at the individual our our individual level the waking and dreaming the waker is called tejasa uh, waker is called the 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 uh, vishwa and the dreamer is called tejasa and the deep sleeper is called pragya pragya tejas uh, vishwa tejasa pragya virat hiranyagarva ishvara and underlying all of this is one reality turiya or pure consciousness this is the structure and the whole thing was indicated by om by an analysis of om or rather by analysis of our conscious experience what we get that is all summarized by om that was the meaning of om here shankaracharya just says om shabda vachya that's it finished <laughs> what is meant by om all of mandukya what we studied and the four chapters agama prakarana vaitatya prakarana advaita prakarana and the alata shanti prakarana all those four chapters um, all of that profound philosophy is just om now that's not all that there is there is another use of very important use of om om can be used as a symbol symbol of what of god of saguna brahman so om denotes shiva or durga or kali or vishnu um, or brahma vishnu maheshwara so god the god of religion is now denoted by om om is a symbol for it stands for um, karya karana brahma karana brahma ishvara god karya brahma virat and hiranyagarbha all of that is om and that that is a symbol symbol means what so for example there are symbols which have which have forms so durga or the picture of shiva or the image of durga this is with a physical form with hands and feet and the face and an iconography whole art is there behind it so that is called pratima and that stands for saguna brahman it's a symbol similarly instead of a physical symbol with with hands and feet and all just take om the sound om and worship it as god you meditate on om knowing it or believing it to be god understanding it to be god you meditate on the sound om which is different from the analysis which we did in mandukya upanishad this is called om shabda pratika i think what what did he use om shabda vachya om shabda pratikamcha yes so om shabda om can be used as a pratika as a symbol you just sit and meditate on om you can visualize a flaming om or chant the om actually generally chant it dirgha pranava uchcharana is recommended long prolonged chanting of om for a long time is the most powerful meditative practice and what are you chanting this is the name of god the yoga sutra says tasya vachaka pranava it denotes god analysis of om gives you the highest reality aham brahmasmi which you realize actually that is advaita vedanta that is the core but this is also vedanta this is a vedanta where you realize we meditate on om and what will be the result will you realize i am brahman eventually but right now as a result of that meditation on om you will go to what is called krama mukti krama mukti means you will not realize you you, you if you do not realize you are brahman in this very lifetime you will go to brahma loka the highest heaven and stay there until you get that enlightenment so two kinds of results are there if you do vedanta vichara and you realize you are brahman you will get mukti 
freedom here and now what rajiketa is asking for then you will become jivan mukta as long as the body is alive when the body dies you will become videha mukta bodiless liberation and the game is over for you but suppose we are doing that we are trying to realize we are brahman it's not working we have not yet realized we are brahman but the chanting of om the meditation on om as a symbol of brahman based on all that we have read and we have faith in that meditation will result will give a result and the result is after death you go to the highest heaven brahma loka which is the heaven of religion the heaven that vaishnavas called vaikuntha the heaven that shaivas called uh, uh, kailasha christians call it heaven uh, muslims call it jannat the buddhists call it pure land so there is a certain state it's also a state of existence still you're an individual which is the most exalted state possible and you never come back from that from there your journey continues up to realization but those who become enlightened here itself they are free all of that is contained in shankaracharya's half a, a phrase om shabda vakyam om shabda pratikam cha this is the meaning of the word om which yama said to all of vedanta is, com- is compressed in that yama said that to nachiketa so he is right when he says what you are asking for i am telling you that now don't worry he will expand on all of it he will make it clear for all of us uh, over the rest of the kathopanishad rest of the kathopanishad is now going to teach us all of this uh, especially the core of vedanta that how to realize i am brahman in this life and be free good now let me look at the comments dima says appears to whom is the observer also a manifestation of same level as the observable apparent reality yes so the subject and object both appear in reality if you say the subject is the reality and object is an appearance that becomes subjective idealism and that's not advaita vedanta advaita vedanta says subject and object both appear and to the subject the object appears but subject and object are both appearances in one reality if you say subject is the reality and the object is an appearance then the buddhist logic will act upon you and uh, it will be able to dismiss this theory as, as a construct prabir says prabir basu says when you say at the root of the subtle universe and gross universe is you i'm confused confused shouldn't it be my real nature yes your real nature is what you say shouldn't it be my real nature yes you and that's what vedanta is trying to convince us make it an, a habit to claim instead of saying my real nature and my false nature then who am i i am when you say my real nature what does it mean that is who i really am so yes you are what you really are is at the root of all appearances so your real nature is at the, at the root of all appearances but be careful about the use of language language again and again tricks us into duality what i mean is you are your real nature you are brahman shravani says if the reflected consciousness chidabhas is limited only to the waking state no it's not limited only to the waking state it's limited it's in the waking state it's in the dream state in the deep sleep it is dormant what lights up our dream objects and experiences chidabhas see chidabhas is what it's just like the uh, face reflected in the mirror as long as the mirror is there there will be a reflected face 
as long as the mind is active, there will be a reflected consciousness. When is the mind active? Waking, dreaming. And that's why in deep sleep, it feels like I am not there. We are so tremendously, completely caught up in the reflected consciousness that as long as that shines, I feel I am there. When that switches off, I feel I am not there. Or when I reflect back, I felt I was not there in that. But it seems logical. It seems illogical. Would you say that I exist in waking, I exist in dream, then I disappear in deep sleep and I come back every time I wake up? Every time you go to sleep, you disappear. Every time you come back, you wake up, um, you come back. Then whose is deep sleep? Who comes back if you're not there? You are there in deep sleep. You must admit it is my waking, my dream, my deep sleep. Then who is that one who says it is my deep sleep? Um, Patrick says, what is the reason we have the ignorance that prevents us from realizing that we are Brahman desires? seeing some things are better than others. Desire, seeing some things are better than others. These are the effects of that ignorance. The cause of ignorance, you cannot find. Because I have I talked about this many times. See how deep it goes. When you say cause of ignorance, you're asking for cause of maya. But maya itself is causality. So you're asking of cause of a cause. The moment you ask for cause, you have accepted causality. Think about it. Look at what the question that Nachiketa is asking. See how deep it is. That which is beyond cause. Tell me that. Shravani says, did karma and jnanakanda, karmakanda and jnanakanda reveal sequentially in time to the Vedic, Vedic sages? Are these reflective of human evolution in time from pleasures to renunciation, higher pursuits? Or did they always coexist to appeal to different kinds of people? You know, um, historians or scholars would say that Upanishads came after uh, the ritualistic portion. But really, the traditional view is they all coexist together because all of this is supposed to be revealed to rishis. And um, it is true. The knowledge of the reality must be there and the skillful ways of bringing people to the reality, which is basically the karmakanda of the uh, Upanishads. That also must have always been there. Notice this karmakanda and uh, jnanakanda, the spiritual part of it, core spirituality, and the general religiosity of trying to satisfy your worldly and otherworldly desires through religion. This is found in every religion. And recently I was uh, reading this book, um, that Supreme Secret or Ultimate Secret, I keep make, mixing it up, uh, by the, the one who wrote, Rhonda, Rhonda B Byrne. She wrote the book, The Secret, and then the, um, the uh, Supreme Secret or Ultimate Secret. But basically, what is that? It's very popular, tremendously popular book, The Secret. But what's it about? It's Karmakanda. How by you know, affirming your desires and giving it to the universe, the universe will fulfill your desires. That's one side of it. That's the karmakanda. And then she, it's interesting that look at her, the evolution of her thought. She writes this book about the one reality that we are, which takes you beyond this uh, samsara, all this desire and trying to fulfill desires. That is the jnanakanda for our 21st century <laughs> secret and the ultimate secret. 
Jai Shri says, as family members, part of one soul agenda who have come together due to past karma, yes. Jennifer says, Swamiji, is it necessary to have special instruction of the Gaucharan of Om? No. Om is a general mantra. Anybody can chant Om. Anybody can chant Om. In fact, the sannyasis, monks in, in uh, um, Uttarakhand, in the Himalayas, the Advaitic monks, if there's one practice that they are supposed to do, that is prolonged chanting of Om. Dirgha Pranava Ucharana, prolonged chanting of Om. You see, it's not easy to grasp what Vedanta is saying. If you listen to what Vedanta is saying and say, yes, yes, I get it, but now what do I do? You haven't got it. If the question persists, now what do I do? You haven't got it. The only answer is listen again. Come to the class again, listen again. And that's not satisfactory for many, including monks. So I remember very instructive. One um, young monk, he had just become a monk, a traditional monk, going to Ramananda Saraswati and he asks, so I've become a monk and yes, yes, I understand Vedanta and all of that. But now, now what do I do? And a lot of things are involved there. Becoming a sannyasi means you have given up your earlier religious practices. The ritualistic puja that you used to do, the Gayatri mantra you used to chant, all of those have been given up. Now what do I do? So Ramanandhi Saraswati chuckles. He says, ah, ab kya Well, you are right. What do you do now? Well, what can you do? He says, chant Om. That's a general instruction. If you want to do something, you can chant Om. Um, I've also shared this with you, something that Swami Atma Priyananji um, shared with us. When he became a monk, they, he leading the group of newly minted monks went to their sannyasa guru, Swami Gambhiranandaji, who was the 11th president of our order. In fact, this book, the translation is by Swami Gambhiranandaji. There's many wonderful translations of the Upanishads and the Gita. Um, when I was at Harvard two years back, it is his translation that was being used there. So anyway, they went to Swami Gambhiranji, who was famously, um, you know, he was not loquacious, he was laconic, very few words. So Atma Priyanji asked a question that uh, we have received the Mahavakya, profound sentence from you, uh, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. How many times should we repeat this? That's the first thing that comes to our mind when you get, you know, like a mantra, you repeat it. How many times are we supposed to repeat this one? And Swami Gambhiranji, he used to sit with his eyes closed. He said, it is not for repetition, it is for realization. Any other questions? No, you may go. <laughs> but you see here, what Shankaracharya indicates, Om Padavatyam, Om Pada Pratikam. Om Shabda Pratikam. That which is a symbol, that which is used as a mantra, you repeat it prolonged chanting of Om with many benefits. But the core idea is not repeating, not chanting Om. is to analyze Om to realize I am the witness consciousness. That is the point. Anyway, Rick says, some spiritual masters such as Brahmananda Saraswati, former Shankaracharya of Jyotirmat, taught that Om is a recluse mantra and meditating on Om alone will make one reclusive. He didn't recommend it for householders. Is this a subject of debate in Hinduism? Yes, it is among traditional pundits. I, I don't know how acceptable it will be in today's day and age. I used to know one monk, very traditional monk. When 
monks would offer water you know in a, after shivaratri puja he would guide us he would chant the mantra for that om such and such thing repeat and we would repeat that and offer water to shiva after that when the devotees householder devotees would come to offer water to shiva he would start not with om but with namaha uh, so that is a traditional uh, debate but doesn't matter but that point is right if you dedicate long hours to chanting of om will it make you reclusive it will and that's a good thing garab says in the mandukya lectures you mentioned that some people may get the truth after listening to these lectures are you acting as guru teacher even though it is youtube or social media source absolutely i'm asking because many times it said that one needs a guru to realize the truth so can you enlighten others through zoom youtube etc i don't know what the traditional thing will be there was no zoom and youtube in those days but you listen to uh, the teachings through um, a qualified teacher uh, it is supposed to have an effect so we'll just leave it at that and it does have an effect the greatest secret rick says correct greatest secret and rick actually interviewed ronda uh, i recommend that you should watch this interview the link is here it's on bad cap sangeeta says i have heard the same by a pandit during thread ceremony ritual of my brother as what's mentioned by rick above correct so that's a debate tamik also says i also heard the same thing what rick mentioned it was mentioned by uh, by dr vasant lard about om yes so there is this debate look don't be afraid of om it can only do you good but these issues are there i can tell you what happened to that monk who wouldn't let um, householders and especially women repeat om what happened to him was outside his vedic school those are in india you know that uh, there is this well known singer anuradha podwal a lady she has sung many devote devotional songs and one of her songs is the sing song repetition of the gayatri mantra om bhur bhuvasso you see it's played often in temples and all but she's a lady so it's in a female voice and what happened to this poor monk was ultimately in out just outside his vedic school um, this these you know the shopkeepers would incessantly play that so we pointed it out to him this is the for your bad karma you prevented women especially householders especially women from repeating the om now you have to listen to the chanting of om throughout the day in a woman's voice all right on that note let's end om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupanamastu very good but if anybody has an as a hesitation there are so many other mantras you can chant um, om namah shivaya if you don't want to chant only om om namah shivaya om namo bhagavate vasudevaya so many mantras which one can chant generally you don't even have to be initiated in these general mantras you can start chanting that um it will have the same effect <laughs>